When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Let's start with a simple fact. A lot of people all over the world eat a lot of meat every day. In the past 50 years, the number of people on the planet has doubled, but the amount of meat we eat has tripled. And a lot of that growing demand has come from developing countries, and particularly China. In 2018, an average Chinese person ate 53 kilograms or about 120 pounds of meat a year. In contrast, in the 1960s, China's average meat consumption per capita was less than 5 kilograms a year. So what happened in between? To put it simply, China got rich. GDP, when the GDP is growing quickly, that's when we usually see meat consumption grow the fastest. Whereas in developed countries, it sort of has plateaued. In the meantime, China's population has doubled in the past half century. By 2025, China is expected to feed 1.4 billion mouths. But on the supply side, China is actually doing pretty good. It produces nearly all of its own meat and is home to more than half of the global pig population. That said, however advanced our modern technology gets, meat is simply a costly product to make. A massive amount of fodder, fertilizer, water and land resources are needed to produce an incredibly disproportionate amount of meat. And China's growing appetite for meat is making it increasingly harder to make ends meet. We all are now focusing on growing the alternative protein sector Exactly because we can see that there is absolutely no way we can produce food enough to feed the growing population and a growing appetite for meat. So today on Inside China Tech, an alternative. Plant-based meat companies such as Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat in the US have been the talk of the town for years. They, of course, have a huge interest in selling to China, which accounts for about one-fifth of the world's meat consumption by volume. But in addition to getting the clearance from the Chinese government, these companies will also need to battle homegrown rivals, who generally charge lower prices and have a better understanding of Chinese taste. Excuse me. Hello. Hello. Can we order? Yes. In this episode, we tried Impossible Meat. We tried its counterpart in China. Okay, so we are at Planet Green, the restaurant in Shenzhen. We talk to people who sell it and who study the market and ask, how should companies introduce, or perhaps reintroduce, meatless meat to China? We'll be right back. From South China Morning Post, this is Inside China Tech. Insights into what matters. Come work for us because we are 996. Are you okay? I started Alibaba 1999 in my apartment. What's your problem? Speed and data. And that's where China comes in. Here's your host, Zen Su. First of all, why are we doing this? The traditional meat industry, of course, leaves a huge greenhouse gas footprint. 
but it also has a wide range of environmental impact. It requires a lot of water and creates water pollution. It needs a lot of land, which leads to deforestation that at times lead to forest fires that in itself creates more greenhouse gases. But it's not only about the environment. Intensified animal farming also affects how our bodies respond to medicine. Let's take a look at China's favorite meat, pork. China's pork industry has been under threat as African swine fever spreads to all provinces, killing hundreds of millions of pigs and causing pork prices to skyrocket. Because of the intensification of animal farming, when animals are kept at really, really small, packed places, that is how disease can be transmitted very easily. This is Elaine Xu, Managing Director of the Good Food Institute a non-profit organization that offers market insights to companies on the future of meat. And how the industry has been dealing with it for decades is to add more and more and more antibiotics to the animals, not as a treatment for actual illness, but as a preventive measure. And that directly causes antibiotic resistance, which is a huge risk for the human race because antibiotics don't work anymore because all the food that we're consuming, which are the animals, they are consuming huge amount of antibiotics. And therefore, the antibiotics that we have developed to treat humans don't work anymore because of the antibiotics resistance. The overuse of antibiotics in animal farming directly causing that global health crisis, really. By 2050, the world's population is expected to reach 9.7 billion, and there's little chance that the current system can sustain our growing appetite for meat. Shifting to a more plant-based diet can be part of the solution, which leads to our second point. China is no stranger to vegetarianism. If anything, the Chinese invented tons of vegetarian dishes imitating meat throughout its centuries-old history of Buddhism. I often said that for plant-based food culture to become mainstream. In the West, we need to take ethics off the table, but in the East, we need to take religion off the table. Elaine is talking to our producer Yang Yang about how having a tradition of mock meat can be a double-edged sword. Off the table because in China and a lot of places in Asia, people associate vegetarianism or plant-based eating with Buddhism. So that kind of isolates or separate people into two groups. If I am not a Buddhist, then why would I become a vegetarian? Um, So it can be that kind of baggage, as well as, um, if I may say, some pretty bad marketing, because it, it, it was never meant to target the mainstream or the younger generation, right? So the marketing, the packaging, the branding, they're all quite outdated. And it was fine for what service um, it had to had to provide, like the purpose that it had to serve, it was fine for that. But now that we're talking about this 2.0 new phase of the alternative protein, including plant-based meat, then it can be a bit of a baggage for people, for consumer to get over that perception. The 2.0 phase she's talking about refers to a new generation of products that use technology breakthroughs to produce meat substitutes such as plant-based meat. In comparison, traditional vegetarian products like mock meat are actually derivatives of vegetable dishes. Mock meat in China typically doesn't taste too much like meat. 
although great craftsmanship can make it look like the real deal. It cannot just be craftsmanship. It has to be science and technology, which can be scaled up and, and therefore really shift the market. Excuse me. Hello. 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 Can we order? Yes. Yes, of course. What can can we? we get a Impossible Chorizo burger? Sure. And sweet potato fries? Can plant-based meat really shift the market? We don't know. On our last business trip, Yang and I tried an impossible burger at the airport to see how much it could tip the scales for us. It's actually really good. To be honest, if they were able to really make vegan meat as close to beef as possible, I could see this totally replacing like beef for me. Like you can ditch just a steak and order complex. Maybe not steak. Maybe just burgers because this is like patty. I don't think they can make like a whole impossible. Sorry, I still like steaks, but I can see myself having plant-based meat like this from time to time. But that's good enough news for many companies. If you can convince every Chinese person to be vegetarian even for just one day a week, that's going to create a huge demand. Here's Cross Chen. She's the co-founder of Starfield, a plant-based meat brand in China. What we're working toward is flexitarianism. Many of our friends would eat vegetarian diets for one or two days every week, but they don't abstain from meat entirely. We hope what we're doing can coexist with animal meat. Cross started Starfield with her friends in 2018. Initially, they wanted to become Impossible Meats distributor in China, but everything was a blank back then. The regulations, policies, even the industry standards. Impossible Meat also has a critical ingredient that makes meat meaty. That's called heme. Spelled H-E-M-E, heme is made from genetically modified yeast that requires government approval. And that was just not going to happen anytime soon. So Cross and her team were like, why don't we just do it ourselves? Although we couldn't become Impossible's agency, we visited every upstream sector in this business. We found that China has almost 30 to 40 years of history of mass-producing mock meat, which shares a similar process with plant-based meat, but differs when it comes to machines, ingredients, and refinement. So we thought, since there's already a legacy, why not do it ourselves? So again, we gave it a go. Okay, so we are at Planet Green, the restaurant in Shenzhen, and they have just brought us two dishes made with Starfield meat. So one is a plate of chicken nuggets made with Starfield's chicken meat, and the other is the Planet Green burger, where the patty is Starfield's vegan beef patty. It took us some time to wrap our heads around these dishes. I don't know if it, like, I can't tell if this is beef. Like, it could very well be pork to me, you know? True, like, true. Yeah, so, like, if Impossible Meat, that burger we tried at the airport, neither of us could tell it's not real meat. But I think for this burger and for that chicken nuggets, I would... There is a gap. I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely doubt it. Starfield is well aware that they have a long way to go. Cross told us that there are mainly two things that make a piece of meat taste like meat. One is flavour, the chemicals that contribute to the meaty taste, and the other is mouthfeel, you know, the texture, the biting sensation. That has something to do with the arrangement of the fibrous protein. The basic ingredients and process of making plant-based meat, though, are more or less alike. We take from the 
We extract and isolate the protein from soybeans, heat it up, compress it, and then cool it off to make it a fibrous protein. We add solid coconut oil, sunflower oil, and cocoa to add color and flavor. On top of that, we add some nutrients. This process is the same for everybody. But as we mentioned before, impossible meat has that one magic ingredient, heme. Elaine here again. One example is impossible, right? Why is impossible impossible is because honestly, before impossible, it was impossible to make a, a plant-based meat taste and smell like real meat. And they put millions upon millions of dollars on R&D to find out the key is something called heme. We were the first to discover that heme is what makes meat taste like meat. It's highly abundant in animal muscle tissue, and if you were to eat meat raw, that bloody flavor that you get, that's heme. And when you cook meat, with all the different flavors and aromas that you get, that is catalyzed by heme as well. The craving for meat is really a craving for heme and the iron and protein that it represents in the diet. Heme might be Impossible's trump card, but Cross believes that all roads lead to Rome. And more importantly, China is different. Chinese people in general feel uncertain or are even fearful of genetically modified products. Technically, it isn't too hard to make heme, but we think there are many techniques to make plant-based meat more meat-like and heme is not the only solution. Also, the way how meat is consumed or what kinds of meat are consumed varies vastly across countries and regions. Um, in China, if we think about, let's say, how people consume pork or how people consume seafood, it's a completely different story, it's a completely different cuisine, it's a completely different experience. For example, Zhen Meat, another plant-based meat startup in China, launched their first product, a mooncake with plant-based pork stuffing, which is a traditional pastry eaten during the Mid-Autumn Festival. Hold on, General's first plant-based meat yeah. product is in the mooncake. Moon it's in the mooncake. This like, is so Chinese. Right? And so different cuisine, different eating culture would just create very, very different. Like a startup in Silicon Valley would never, ever come up with ideas like that. Um, <laughs> Elaine also told us that health benefits seem to be a strong drive for people in China to purchase plant-based meat compared to the West. Um, in the West, a lot of these products don't use health as a selling point because they are trying to get the really heavy meat eaters to eat. Like, it cannot be worse than what they're eating. Who so, don't really care about their health? They don't really care. Plus, like, any kind of plant-based product, like, cannot be worse than what they're eating. <laughs> so it doesn't need to be a big selling point. Um, whereas in China, um, if we're not just talking about um, burger and sausages, right? Like these are not the things that we eat <laughs> on a daily basis. And we feel that the kind of meat that we eat, we consume are healthier than burgers and sausages and chicken nuggets, which are basically all that they're, they're making right now. Um, so when you're comparing that with what we ch as Chinese eat, on a daily basis, then health would definitely be a bigger factor. In terms of health and nutrition, plant-based meat does have an advantage over animal meat, as scientists can actually engineer the ingredients. You can take out things like cholesterol and add in nutrients that's not actually in animal meat. 
And almost, you know how in Chinese, the culture of really using food as medicine, like food is your medicine, all that is going to uh, go into the whole dynamic of how products will be developed, like what kind of products would succeed in certain markets. In the US, there's a labeling war over whether plant-based meat should be called meat to begin with. But looking back at China's vegetarian history, Elaine says it's going to be much easier for China. But because plant-based products are so prominent in China, it's it's, it does, doesn't make sense to have the same kind of labeling war that we've been seeing in the U.S. Like in China, soy milk actually came before dairy milk. Like <laughs> dairy milk is an import from the West. We grew like the whole Chinese culture it started with soy milk and then dairy milk came in. And then, yeah, nowadays we find out that most Asians are actually lactose intolerant. Haha. <laughs> And so, like, it's a completely different <laughs> background and story, right? Meanwhile, more traditional meat companies are getting aware of the unsustainability of the old system and investing more and more into the future of meat. In an ideal world, plant-based meat, cultivated meat, and traditional meat would coexist in harmony. All right, one last question. Is there a 3.0 version <laughs> plant-based meat inside? <laughs> Yeah, funny you ask that. Um, I was well honored to be at Impossible's lab just a month ago and actually seeing how things are happening there, how things are made, etc. It was fascinating. So they had their first product out, what they call 1.0, but really it's a, you know, in, in our sense it's a 2.0 product, but for them it's like their first product. They have now done their 2.0, so um, it's an improved product of of. Uh, impossible burger and most people think that it does taste a lot better they like again taking in market feedback right some people think that it's too oily so they um, take down the a notch the, the oil in it um, and just like different proportion of how things are mixed together so all these companies are going to continue improving their products so I, I can't see a big phase of like what happened that suddenly we call something 3.0. I think 2.0 is just going to keep getting better and better and better. Um, yeah, but gosh, if something like something changed everything overnight, like, I'm so excited about it. It's just like smartphone came in and then suddenly, you know, Nokia was just like irrelevant overnight. And that is the, the kind of thing that we want to see and we're excited to see that we're not really fighting against anything. It's just creating something so good that existing um, products become obsolete. Um, and that's better for everyone and better for our future. So yeah, I mean, if there's anyone is developing 3.0, bring it on. <laughs> All right, that's all you have for today. This episode was produced by Yang Yang. We'd like to thank Cross Chen of Starfield as well as Elaine Su of the Good Food Institute. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Zensu, that's Z-E-N-S-O-O. And for more awesome stories about China tech, head on to scmp.com tech. Finally, if you've enjoyed this podcast, do rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We can also be found on Spotify, Stitcher, Simlaya, basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, Happy New Year and we'll see you in 2020. Bye! 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.